That was amazing, wasn't it? Amen. Let's get to work. You ready to work? Grab your Bibles. You've had an extra hour of sleep, so I'm going to use that uh, extra rest for to its fullest extent this morning. Turn with me to Romans 6 and verses 15 to 23. And as you're opening up God's words, let me give a word of thanks to the extraordinary kindness to Calvary for the help that you have given us in the Jerusalem Project, and particularly to Pastor Jim and his wife, Miss Lisa, in the honor of them sharing Jesus' love with me and with my wife. And I pray for you, Calvary Church, that you would live out Hebrews 13, 17, which says that you would make all of the pastors and all of the elders' job in this church a joy as they look after your souls because you don't grumble. And because you love Jesus and you want to be fed, you want to be given prayer, you want to be shepherded, and you want to grow in Christ. So I've been praying as I was thinking about this morning in preparation to what God would want me to bring to you. And so I've been asking for God's presence to be here. I want to fall into the background and I want you to meet with God as we open His Word. Amen. And as I've been hearing about your journey as a church going through the book of Genesis... I want you to realize that the power you hear in Genesis 1 and 2, as God says, let there be light, and there was, is the same power in you and I when we give our lives to Christ. Amen? We've just sung about it. But here's where my heart is breaking, not just for this church, but for all churches across the West. When we leave here after having had such a magnificent choir, such a magnificent experience of God, we go away dead. And I want you to be alive in Christ Monday morning. I want you to be alive in Christ when you and your wife are having difficulty. I want you to be alive in Christ when that child in your house is straying away and it's breaking your heart. I want you to be alive in Christ when you go to work and you don't want to be there. I want you to be alive in Christ because the power of Genesis 1 and 2 is in you. Amen. Paul does this in the book of Romans in the same way that when you were looking at the book of Philippians, Paul wants Jesus to be king over everything. That is our aim as Christians, right? We want Jesus to be king over everything. And in the book of Romans, if you ever read it, it starts in 1.6 with this bookend of saying to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, Jesus' name, among all the nations. And he finishes the book of Romans in Romans 16, 26 with that same heart, that same sentiment. So as we dig into God's Word, I want us to worship God through His inspired, infallible, inerrant, Holy Spirit-given words. And we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 23 together this morning. And I want you to know that overarching this passage this morning is this set of questions. What is enslaving your life? Or what is in charge of your life? What is the most influential element in your life that means it controls your thoughts, your actions, and your motives and your desires? Any older people in here this morning that remember Bob Dylan? Put your hands up. Good for you. Bob Dylan put the sentiment of this passage in this song. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
And in this passage this morning, we're gonna find words that are uncomfortable to us, like the word enslavement, obedience, uh, and service, and being a slave. But understand this, Calvary, every human being you know is in obedience to something or someone that is conducting how and why they live their lives. To give you an illustration from a movie, one of my favorites, Toy Stories, do I have any fans in the house? When you watch that movie, there's the characters of Woody and Buzz. And the toy named Woody is the thing that the boy in the story loves to play with at the beginning of the movie. So much so that it controls his time. It controls what his bed sheets are, his comforter. It controls the posters on his cork board. It controls the wallpaper, the other toys he plays with. Woody is what he is enslaved to, for want of a better term. But then there comes the birthday, right? And along comes along Buzz Lightyear. And there's that really, really sad scene, that montage of when what was was pictures of the cowboy on the corkboard changed to pictures of an astronaut. What was was the comforter of a cowboy is now the comforter of a rocket taking off. And Buzz becomes more and more dominant and Woody gets jealous, right? But then there's another story of enslavement. Buzz himself Buzz, you see, he thinks he's a, a, a real-life space ranger. And there's this moment where he puts that to the test to say, what am I really living for? Who am I? And he goes and stands on a rail thinking he's a space ranger, and he jumps. And then what happens? Reality comes crashing in, right? What they both fail to understand is that they have somebody who's in control. If Woody looks on his feet, who does he see? Tell me. Andy, you and I are made by a creator God, the, the power of Genesis 1 and 2. And indelibly marked on us is that we are made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis tells us. And it is with that image that Paul brings us into the book of Romans. Because in the book of Romans, Paul is explaining how we are united with Christ in his death and that everything that needs to be done for us to be saved from the punishment of our sin was done when Jesus says, it is finished. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. You've got to trust Christ. And so Paul is saying in the book of Romans and the bit that was just before our passage this morning, that we, if we are believers in Christ, have died to sin, the singular. And we, verse 11, are to count ourselves dead to sin. We are to understand that we are now a new creation, living with God and being obedient to Him. Because we have been born by Christ through the work of the cross. And we must act upon that truth. We must be like a man who... who Although he's been put in debt, has been given an inheritance that pays off all of his debts. And rather than living in all of the struggles that he went through, the toil, the mental anguish, now that that inheritance has been given, he's to live a new life free from the debt. And brothers and sisters, you and I have been cleared of the debt of our sin. Amen? That's glorious, right? That's glorious. And because we are united with Christ... It is now the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are to not live under law or morality anymore. We're to not live under sin or death anymore. God is meant to have supreme power and reign in our life. The same power of creation is meant to be in us. 
Maybe think of it this way, in the image of, of baptism. I called this the royal box earlier. You don't know what a royal box is. You're not from Britain. But that's where the queen would sit if she was coming to Calvary today. She'd get wet, right? But in the image of baptism... We take that picture, right? And we say, I'm telling you, church, I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I've died to my old life and I'm risen by the power of Christ and his resurrection into a new life. I've died from living to the power of sin, the world, the devil, and any fleshly desires. And I want to live for Christ. Amen. And so what we build up to in Romans 6.15 is Romans 6.1 to 14. And Paul is telling us, this is what you've been set free from, the punishment of the law. And so the context of verses 15 to 23 is this. Our old self is dead with Christ. But there's a problem, right? We, we read that verse in, uh, in Peter this morning, uh, and we understand that we are called to be holy, but I don't know when you hear passages like that, you go, how does that work? I know I want it. I know I want to be holy, but tell me, how does that work? Well, in the context of 15 to 23, this is the deposit I want to give to you, Calvary, that we have been saved for a life of holiness, saved for a life of sanctification and peace with God. And we're not to go back to our old life, but we are to live in the new life. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I'm going to quote as many British guys as I can for you today. He was actually Irish, but we'll, never, we'll take him. Um, he said this, Christians are far too easily pleased. We play with mud piles in the dirty back streets whilst there is an offer for us a chance to make sandcastles on the beach. We're going to sing later on from uh, graves to gardens. And I want God to meet with you this morning so that you would go from whatever struggle and sin that you're having, whatever grip you're holding onto with the law or with a moral compass that, that helps you feel safe with God, I want you to let go of that and I want you to live because of God's word this morning. And so the big idea of this passage this morning, if you're taking notes, is simply this. Jesus owns us to enjoy our new life in obedience to his word. Let me say that again. Jesus owns us to enjoy our new life in obedience to his words. And so what Paul is doing in 15 to 23 is justifying the doctrine of justification by grace, that we have been set free from sin and we have become slaves of God. And every passage in God's word, God has a transformational intent and the transformational of intent of this passage is summarized in verse 22. Look at it with me. It is the desiring of the fruit of sanctification or desiring the fruit of holiness. And this is what I hope God does for us. And as we go through this passage this morning, I've got three signposts for you in the verses. The first one's going to be this. There's going to be an objection to grace from the church in Rome in verse 15. But then Paul's going to answer that objection in our second point in verses 16 to 19 to tell us that God owns us. And then finally, in our third point, Paul is going to tell us about the payout of why it is worth pursuing a life of sanctification. That yes, justification is the fruit, or, 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 sorry, the root of why we live for Christ. But there is to be fruit of sanctification in our life in verses 20 to 23. So let's get stuck in then. Look at with me at verse 15 in our first point, uh, the objection to grace. 
In the passage today, we're gonna see that there is this objection that this church in Rome is wrestling with and Paul is writing to. And in the congregation, I want you to imagine that there are some people going to Paul and saying, I wanna make sure that when I understand what Jesus did on the cross, I don't untether my heart and take away the security that means I know I'm gonna be obedient to him and to his will. And so there was this concern in the church of Rome, Paul, we have to have some kind of rules. We have to have some kind of law because otherwise if I'm just free to choose to be obedient to Jesus, then I'm not gonna wanna do it. And so there were two groups in this church of Rome and Paul is desperately wanting them to reunite like Woody and Buzz become friends at the end of the story. You like the way I threaded that back in? Paul is wanting the, Jew, the Jews who've been holding on to the law to say, this is what's gonna make me saved. This keeping of the law is what means that God thinks I'm good enough for him. Paul says, get rid of it, crush it. It will burden you and you'll never be able to carry that load. And he says, you are under grace, not law. And Paul also says to Greeks, to, to moral people who had these kind of rituals or things that they would say, this is what keeps me safe with God. If I do just this thing, then I know God and I are buddies. And Paul is saying, Greeks, let go of that thing and grab hold of the cross because Jesus died for you and it is finished. You cannot add to it. It's math that does not work. So then Paul answers this objection in verse 15, Paul answers the objection uh, with this language that he uses similarly to 6 verse 1. And look with me at verse 15. He says, what's then? Asking the question, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says what, brothers and sisters? How does he emphatically tell us that we're not meant to be under law? He says, by no means. We are not to sin anymore by holding on to the law. We're not to sin anymore because we have been freed from the punishment that the law tells us is coming our way. In other words, there were people wrestling with, if I can't be punished anymore for my sin, am I free to go and do exactly what I want with my body? Am I free to go and do exactly what I want with somebody else? Am I free to think and do anything I want because I'm already forgiven by God in his goodness? He's, he's already wiped that slate clean. Is that what I want with my life? And Paul says, by no means. You see, the gospel is not eternal fire insurance. The gospel is not just our ticket to get into heaven. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is a two-sided coin. Yes, it's what we are saved from. We do not. Humanity's biggest problem is the wrath of God on their shoulders, amen? Don't be afraid to say that, brothers and sisters. But that's only half the side of the coin of the gospel. The other side of the coin is not just that we get saved from God's wrath by God's son, but we get saved for God's glory, amen? And we get to enjoy that brothers and sisters. And so the point of what Paul is saying here is, yes, you may have objections to saying that you're under grace, not law, but don't fret church in Rome. Don't fret that you need something to, to anchor you back in. He says, if you go there, you're either gonna become legalists and think I need to do this, this and this to be good enough for God and it will kill you and lead to death. Or you'll go down the road of licentiousness of thinking nothing really matters because I'm already forgiven and you won't have understood the walk with the Lord and the goodness of Jesus like we sang about this morning. And he says, don't go back to either. 
Paul is saying, if you, if you don't understand grace, then you're missing out on what it means to come and adore Jesus. To be dead to your old life and alive to Christ. Paul's telling us that you are free to be a slave to Christ and enjoy his goodness. Sometimes people find this concept difficult of saying that we are going to be obedient to something. But if you've ever had that struggle, can I ask you please to go away and read Lord of the Flies? How many of you have ever read Lord of the Flies? It is an ugly book. I say ugly like my wife's family does down in Georgia. It is an ugly book. The reason why William Goldberg, uh, I want to get his name right, Golding wrote it, was this. Before he wrote it and before the Second World War, he was convinced that humanity was able to get to a place where if you civilized people, if you gave them manners, if you educated them, they would become better and better and better. But then something happened to wake him up to the depravity of man. It was the Second World War. And he saw people from Germany, people that were educated, people that were police officers, people that were doctors, putting on a uniform and pushing people into gas chambers to kill them. He knew that civility and morality in our own strengths is not enough to take away the depravity of man. He knew that something is always ruling over us. And if you ever read the book of the Lord of the Flies, you'll see that what we think of as being absolute freedom is actually amazingly ugly, right? So there is always this challenge for humanity of what is ruling over us. So what does Paul want us to do? Paul wants us to hear his phrase by no means emphatically and he wants us to come alive. I want you as you sing later on uh, from graves to gardens, I want you to sing that you are alive in Christ, that you are slaves in Christ, that when Jesus is our King, it is the most fullest of being a human that you can ever be. Jesus said, I have come so that you may be free to live life to the max. And that is what it means to understand when he reconciles us through the cross that we are to love and adore him. This is what we're made for. Anybody listening to Christmas songs already? Put your hands up. Uh -huh, one of those right there. Don't get into his car. You know the CD he's gonna be playing. I didn't plan this because of what the choir was singing, but I, I, I was thinking about the carol, Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. That phrase, that heart, that's what Paul is saying. You've been freed, so come and adore him. Come and taste the goodness of the gospel. That beautiful carol is the realization that we are to come and adore Jesus as our king and we will bow the knee to him no matter what he wants from us. No matter what he asks of us, we will say, Jesus, I will do what you want me to do because I love being your slave, because I adore you. Arrhenius, the second century Greek bishop, uh, when he was speaking about Romans 6, said this, we are no more alive than when we have union with Christ in his resurrection. We are no more alive than when we have union with Christ in his resurrection. In other words, we trust that Jesus has saved us and we trust that Jesus is giving us life. And Paul says, this is the gift from God and I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it in your life. And I'm gonna tell you and I'm gonna show you how to fight. Anybody know the, the Christian rap artist T Dashi? He, thank you. Oh, man, that's cool. More of you than I thought. He wrote this song and he said, I make war. This is the life I'm about to show you that we all have to enter into. He says this, I make war. 
because sin never sleeps. It's got me in a trance. You can see it in my dreams. I make war. Man, I beat my flesh to the death every breath. Like I beat my chest, I make war, sun up. I make war, sun down. Time in, I make war, time out. I make war against lust, against pride, against me until I die. And the author of that song is saying this, uh, either sin is killing me or I'm killing sin, amen? And if we're not killing off sin, if we're not living to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we're not being under grace and being alive in our life for Christ, then we are dead people. And so it's going to be a fight. And this takes us to where Paul is going in verses 16 to 19. Our second point, God answers through Paul the question of why it is good to be owned by God of why it is good to be owned by God. And this is the second point. So look with me, please, at verse 16. Paul says to the church, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, in other words, you're going to, you're going to present yourself to somebody and be enslaved to something because every human being presents themselves to something. But Paul puts it like this in two categories. You see it there in the verse? Either you're slaves of sin or of obedience. The Christian, because the Spirit is in him, has to be alive and understand that I'm either a slave of Jesus or a slave of something in this fallen and broken world. And if you want to, let's dig into the language of what Paul says. He, he does not say slaves of sins, but sin. And it's very important that we get why he says that in this passage, that the definition is different because sin is our natural inclination without Christ and without the Holy Spirit to be disobedient to God is what we are before we knew Christ. In other words, our natural defaults without Jesus and the Holy Spirit is rejecting God and is death. Sin is what we do when Jesus is not intervening. Sin is what rules and reigns in our body and in our flesh, saying no to God and saying, I'm in charge, and that is what sin is. But sins with an S on the end of it is the fruit of what comes out of us saying, I don't need you, Jesus. So when we commit adultery or when we commit the things of greed or when we commit the sins of laziness or gluttony, those are sins because of sin. And so Paul is asking us, who's going to be your master? Who's going to rule over your thoughts and your identity? And Paul understands either you're being enslaved by sin, the desire within you to reject God in your flesh, or to obey Him, the desire of the Holy Spirit working powerfully through you. I want you to understand this, that the Christian life is never powered by you pulling your socks up and going, I'm going to try harder. The power of God has to be in you to be a slave to righteousness and to be obedient to God and never, never try and do it any other way. And so it's asking us, are you going to bow the knee to sin or to the obedience that leads to righteousness? And so Paul describes to us how God owns us and it is beautiful. And if you don't understand this, you need to understand it because otherwise you'll miss out on the gratitude of the cross that then fuels you to be grateful that God owns you to then change you into being a slave of Christ. Look with me at verse 17, please, would you? Rub your nose in the text. Make sure you've got it open in front of you. But thanks be to God, if it's not grateful, it doesn't happen. 
that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard or the purity of teaching, which is God's word to which you were committed. In other words, when you became a believer from the heart, God took out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And he says, I'm going to give you my word, the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And you loved it and you adored it. And he says, I'm going to make that thrive in you, in your new identity. Your old identity was captivated and enslaved from the heart for the things of the world. But when God spoke, faith was brought about in you. And I'm praying He brings you faith as He speaks this morning. And inside you, you said, God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. He is my treasure. He is my song. He is what I live for. And I turn away from the world and I love Him. Amen. And so we say, Jesus, be my completion. Be my relationship, be the enslavement in my life. Teach me by your word all the time. And this is how we become holy. It's by opening up the word of God and we see God and we love him. This is what it means to be owned by God. But look with me at verse 18. Paul says in verse 18, we have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. And we've got to get this into the mind and into our narrative and into the narrative of any church. So I want you to understand that in America, part of your story is you kicked out my relatives. We don't believe it because it's in the fictional part of the library in Britain. But it's true, right? This is part of your cultural heritage, that you think you're a liberated people. I want my tea back, by the way. And to that point, I had a pastor friend, right? This is what he did. He said, Pastor, I'm going to buy your T-shirt. And it says this, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. It's a bit harsh, right? But the whole point of what I'm saying in all seriousness is this, you've got to crush the idol of what the American story tells you is your freedom and your liberty and your right. You are not king. America is not king. Britain is not king. Jesus is king. And so what we do when that change is in us through the word of God, it challenges us to say, I am not free. I am obedient to Christ. And here's the beautiful thing. When we understand obedience to Christ, we actually want it. We want to put off our old selves and we want to become a slave of righteousness. Uh, And so what we do is we say, here is the taste of God and God's word. We've tasted that God is good and we come back to it. But there are those seasons where we dry and we fail and it's though we are dead again. But we've got to come back to it. Anybody else like coffee in this place this morning? I love a cup of coffee. You don't want to see me BC before coffee. It's a dark, dark age. But the reason I like going to a cup of coffee is I drink it and it's good. It makes me awake. Uh, And I said this in the first service. uh, Pastor Jim's probably going to take me aside and tell me to crush that idol. But I go back to it again and again and again because it's good. I think it's good. It's a gift of God. Through the cross, it can be redeemed, right? Amen. Somebody help me. But this is what it means to know Jesus. You go back to him again and again and again through his word and you taste his good. 
You fight for it. You fight for that righteousness and say, Jesus, I want to be enslaved to you. I want my mind to be enslaved to you. I I want that righteousness of God, that goodness of God. I want to enjoy that goodness every time I open and obey his words, that standard of teaching that verse 18 talks about. It's there where I get that closeness with Jesus. It's there where I grow stronger as a believer. It's there where I go, I don't want to be dead again. I want to be alive again. Amen? I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the couple that go out in the Chevrolet truck. Anybody ever remember a Chevrolet truck where the bench went from one side to the other and all the way along? If you've got one, I'll buy it. Um, my father-in-law sold one called Old Green and it broke my heart. Anyway, there's this young couple, get back. Um, and this young, uh, this young couple got married and they go every Sunday afternoon for the drive in the truck and the husband would be driving and the wife would kind of snuggle up next to him and it would be glorious. But then the years roll past and roll past and roll past uh, and eventually the, the wife was by the other door and she looks up and she says, honey, why don't we snuggle anymore when we go out for these rides? Husband takes a deep breath, he stops and he looks over and says to her, I don't know because I haven't gone anywhere. Sometimes that's us in our relationship with God. God's not gone anywhere, right? He's immutable. He doesn't change. But there are things that become more and more dominant in our life. And brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to kill them, identify them, crush them, get rid of them, and come back to that Christian walk where we say, I love you, Jesus. I love you and forgive me of my sins. I love you and I want you to be the first in my life. I don't know if you ever see a college student or a teenager that comes to Christ and you see that energy and you see that enthusiasm in them and they're saying, okay, Jesus, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And if it's a college student and it's a girl, it's normally, and who do you want me to marry? That's the energy that all of us should have, no matter how old we are, no matter how long you've been a Christian. It's Jesus. I'm excited about this journey. I'm excited about where we're going. And Jesus, please, please, please let me taste that you're good as I open your words. Am I asking or saying that Paul is saying that you always live on this high uh, like we did when we sang, behold our God? Wouldn't it be amazing if that high was all the time? It's not. It's remembering to come back to it though. So Paul says in verse, 17, uh, verse 19 about God owning us. He says, I'm going to explain this to you in human terms. And I say human terms. Paul says human terms because he says nothing else is going to be adequate to express what God is doing in making you his slave and you loving his righteousness. But he said, there was a time when you presented your members, the parts of your physical body, uh, or another way of thinking of it, as your body as being used as a tool or a weapon. And Paul is saying, remember those times when you gave your body over to sin and it was in charge of you? For some people, this is an easy thing to connect with, like if they struggled with alcoholism. Or if somebody was uh, uh, struggling because they lived for going to the office and they lived for building up their 401k and they literally gave their body to building up their bank balance. But Paul is saying, whatever it is, before you knew Christ, you were giving your body over to the thing that you worshipped for your comfort, your peace, your salvation, for your feeling of contentment. And those things without Christ become bigger and bigger and bigger. And Paul is saying, remember those times? Remember those times in your life when it consumed you, when it was all over you? And Paul says, in human terms, with natural limitations, I want you to see that there's something different. I want you to see that there's a life in Christ. And he says, I want you to present your bodies, 
not to impurity, not to lawlessness, but to Jesus Christ. I want you to run away from all of those things. And I want you in your mind and in your heart and in your soul and in your body and in your strength, I want you to become a slave to Christ. And I want you to remember those times that were and you think that they are ugly and dead. And I want you to come along to Christ. Do you see how he puts it in the end of verse 19? Look at it with me. For just as you once were presented, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now, this is you and me, brothers and sisters, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Amen. That's beautiful. And here's the beautiful thing about what Paul is saying right at the heart of this passage. If you enslave yourself to Jesus Christ, if you enjoy His goodness, if you enjoy His righteousness, that is your faith being lived out. That is you becoming holier and holier and holier, more like Christ. And as you do this, you'll become more and more like Jesus. And the Bible will sanctify you through the Holy Spirit and your old life will die off more and more and more. And it will be like a person who steps into a room when they first become believers in Christ. And it's a two foot by two foot room. It's a tiny room, but there's glory in that room and you love to be in that room with Jesus. But as you grow, the room grows. And over time, Christ becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And you adore Him more and more and more. And as you look around at Jesus, you see the character of His grace. And you say, that's amazing, Jesus, that you didn't give me what I deserved, but you gave me your goodness. You see the love of Jesus in this room. And you see His patience with you as you stumble and fall. And He picks you up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He says, you are adopted. I love you. Let's keep on walking through this amazing, life. Maybe to use another analogy, it's like a diamond. My wife was like this when we got engaged. How many of you ladies, when you got an engagement ring, you stared at that thing forever? It's beautiful, right? This is what ladies do. They stare at that ring and they love the cut and they love the clarity And they love looking at the different facets of that diamond ring. And this is what they love the most. They love the love it represents, right? When we open God's words and we understand that we're owned by God and we live for that righteousness, it's like seeing the diamond of Jesus through God's word. And the more we read the different facets, the different cut, the different character that we see of Jesus in his word, it takes us back to the cross and how much Jesus loves us. And it makes us thankful. And so brothers and sisters, I, I want to urge you to keep looking in here to see the beauty and the love of God because this is what will change you. And if there is sin in your life, which there is for all of us, our flesh still exists until the day of glory. The only thing, if I cut off all parts of my body that would be left, if I cut it all out would be this glasses and a pair of uh, shoes and a suit on the floor, right? We do struggle with that, with that sin nature in our flesh, but you have been forgiven of that and you're now alive to Christ and I want you to live for that. I want you to see how amazing it is. But if you get wrapped and if you are entangled in sin right now, listen to the words of James who says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come back to the cross. Come back to Jesus. In those times when you're in the valley, climb again, not by your own strengths, but say, Jesus, give me the Holy Spirit. Let me see the love of you. And I want to climb again. 
Anybody do hiking or distant running in here this morning? Anybody a hiker or a distant runner? Yes. One of the things you love when you hike or when you do distance running is seeing a horizon come up before you. And it keeps you motivated to say, I want to get to the finish line. I want to get to that horizon. And God owning us is the motivation of what will keep us going when we see the vistas of eternity. I was at um, Warren Dunes uh, near St. Joseph's this week. It's not quite as big as, I can't remember, what is the other one that's north of here that's even bigger? Sleepy Bear's Dune. That's, that's the one I want to go to next because if that's bigger than Warren Dunes, that thing has got to be huge. Anyway, I was there with some people this week and I challenged somebody uh, if they wanted to run with me from the bottom to the top. Here's the mistake. If you're 42, don't ever challenge somebody who's younger than you to run to the top of a sand dune mistake but here's the analogy I want you to pick up as him and I ran we ran with the motivation of saying we want to get to the top we want to see the view from the top but if you ever run up a sand dune your legs ache with pain there are moments you stop and you are crawling to pull up the sand and you're desperately hoping to grab something to help pull you along that is the Christian life of God owning you it is hard 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 but I want you to remember where you're going to, the finish line. I want you to remember that description. And I want you to remember that even when it is pressing on you and you feel like life is beating you back, you are alive in Christ. We are on the pilgrim's progress. And there is that beautiful description of where the journey is ultimately going. And I want you to understand that. And this takes us to where Paul goes when he talks about righteousness leading to sanctification, to our last point in verses 20 to 23, the payout. What is the horizon? What is the vista that God presents before us to give ourselves over to Christ and say, I want to live and be enslaved to him? The root is justification, but the fruit is sanctification. It is holiness. It is saying you and I are going to enjoy God and enjoy Jesus more and more and more. It is the righteousness of Christ and us being healthy soil. So look with me at verse 20. As Paul urges this church in Rome, he says, remember what you were like. Remember this in terms of what you were like in contrast from then until now. Remember perhaps like the black cloth behind you of your old life and the diamond of God's word in your new life and the righteousness of God and keep coming back to being slaves of Jesus rather than slaves of righteousness keep coming back to the fruit of what it means that when you are grieved with your sin you say Jesus I'm forgiven and I come back for you he's saying don't go back to the turmoil of the cycle of living to the stench of death don't go back to that fruit of death don't go back to the moment where the way you dealt with sin was you went to something and you numbed your pain and it became your idol, it became your salvation, it became your comfort, it became everything this Holy Spirit was supposed to do for you. He's saying, don't go back to that. Do you see that? He puts it down pretty hard, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from those things of which you are now ashamed? Paul is saying you were ashamed of those things because you knew it didn't bring life. You were ashamed of those things because it, it was the ugliness of the inner nature that you had before you know Jesus and before you knew that forgiveness. Don't, don't go back to that. He twins that word shame with Romans 1.16 of being unashamed of the gospel and being alive in Christ. 
But here's where he takes us, brothers and sisters. For the end of those things is death. Do you want death? I hope not. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, there is the fruit you get that leads to sanctification and its end. Where's the horizon? Tell me, brothers and sisters. Eternal life. Eternal life. Imagine what that's going to be like. Imagine what eternal life without sin, without sins, without a fallen and broken world, what that's going to be like. Let me help you get there. Imagine um, you're in the summertime. I know we're getting colder, but you're out on the road and you see a dead possum on the road, okay? That dead possum's been there for about three days and it is stinky. It is nasty. It is dead. It has maggots all in it. And imagine if this was you. I, I, I imagine me doing it. I got out of my car. I get the shovel, maybe a show shovel because you can scrape it up really nicely and collect all of those guts and everything together. I take it home. And I put it on my kids, uh, I put it on the kitchen table at home and I say, kids, I've got the greatest meal for you that you've ever had. I've got this meal that's going to surpass everything else. And they remember the meals that they've been given before and they go, "Mm -mm, no, dad, you better dial up the phone and get some holy chicken from Chick-fil-A because we ain't eating that. (laughs) Paul is saying, if you eat the roadkill, that's like you going back to the life you had before. It stinks, it's nasty, it's rotten, it is infested. Why would you go back there when your eyes should be on eternal life, on Jesus and the life that he gives you now? The power of creation is in you now. But all of that needs cultivating, brothers and sisters, to say that we are dead to sin and that we are gonna fight to love God with all of our character, with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And so verse 22, it's got to be the joy in our hearts of the goodness of God that we experience that says, I want to put God first. Do you see that in verse 22? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, that fruit, that desire for sanctification, that desire that Jesus has died for you means you now have a new mind and new heart and new soul and you get to worship God with that. You're no longer fearful of the eternal consequences of sin because Jesus has paid for that and that fruit of the new life in Christ says I will obey you Jesus and I will look to all eternity and I want my life to be flavored and dominated by who you are maybe think of it in terms of the way Jesus summarizes the law in Mark 12 the way to be holy is to take that commandment that Jesus summarizes and say Jesus with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind and with all of my strength I'm going to love you Jesus and Jesus with everybody that's made in your image my neighbor I'm going to love you Jesus and I'm going to want all of these people to grab my hand so that as we run up the sand dune even though there are going to be times of stumbling and falling and failing I want everybody to come into the kingdom of God amen So Jesus, I will submit to you and be your slave. I want to love you with all of my heart. God, whatever sin, whatever unrighteousness is in my heart, whatever I'm doing to to go against you, Jesus, purify me, sanctify me, bring me to the the place where I know, Jesus, you're a better treasure than anything of this world. God, I want to do this with all of my soul, with every ounce of my being, and I want the emphasis of my personhood, of who I am to be a lover of Jesus. 
So Jesus, whatever is not being obedient to you in my soul, in my personhood, in my character, in my nature, let Jesus be in charge. With all my mind, Jesus, take my mind and take my thoughts and be guiding me. With all of my thoughts, give me wisdom so that I'm in touch with the reality that Jesus, you are king. Jesus, if there's any unrighteousness in me, get it out of me, Jesus, and let me be a slave to you so that I don't disobey you. Jesus, let me be sanctified by the root of righteousness so that I may see the fruit daily of loving you when I open the word and I meet you in there. This is the first and second commandment being lived out. This is loving your neighbor when you want them to come to know Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you want every person you know to come to know Jesus? I'm gonna ask you that one more time. Do you want everybody you know to come to know Jesus? Amen. This happens when people look at us and they say, they love Jesus. There is a a verifiable difference to who they were, to who they are now, because they're a slave of God. It means that I'll become closer and closer to Jesus. The more and more I've learned from his character, I wanna separate my sin and I wanna join with his goodness. It's not gonna lead me to being in a perfect place, but it is gonna take me to the perfect banqueting hall, right? I will enjoy Jesus forever. But look how Paul finishes off and we're coming into land in verse 23. For the wages of sin is what, Calvary? Death. Death. Does anybody want death? It is ugly. It is dead. But the free gift of God is, what is it? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is not pie in the sky when you die. That is the power of God's Word and creation in you today, Calvary. In you today. And so you see here right at the end, Christ, King, Messiah, Savior, Lord. That's what Paul is asking of you. Is he your king, your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord? Is that your confession that you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and you believe from your heart that God raised him from the dead? If that's you, you will be saved. If that's not you, if you don't believe that, I want to ask you, do you know the gospel? Do you know Jesus? Pastor Kent Hughes says this, God will do great and wondrous things in and through the life of an obedient soul. Did you hear that? If you want an adventure with Jesus, listen to this. God will do great and wondrous things in and through the life of an obedient soul. So brothers and sisters, if your joy is not in the Lord, if your joy is not living under grace, if your joy is not obeying Jesus' commandments, I wanna ask you, have you truly received the forgiveness of God that makes you so thankful for the cross? Have you understood God's work in you? Are you understanding that there are hard times in being a Christian, but that doesn't mean you run away from God. It means you run to God and to the gospel. And he is calling you to love him with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul, that his word would be a lamp unto your feet, that it would soften your heart to see the goodness of Jesus and say, I wanna go back there again and again and again. It's saying, Jesus, I pledge my allegiance to you, to nothing else but to you that I have been born again. We are not meant to wrestle anymore from the punishment of sin because Jesus has paid for that. That work is completely done. What we are meant to wrestle with is fighting for joy of saying, I want to be different tomorrow than I was today. I want to be different next month than I was last month. I want to be different next year than I was this past year. I want to bow my knee to Jesus and I want to listen to your word and I want to go Jesus your way because that is the only true adventure for the Christian. 
Oh, come, let us adore him. This makes, means making sure that everything in our life is being sanctified by the word of God, not in your own strength, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, is there somebody in your life that you can confess sin to? Not that we need another person because if we go straight to God, he forgives us. But I want you to understand that if you're trying to fake it till you make it, you're going to die. If you're married, whoever you're married to should be your best friend. And you need to say to them, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be an enslaved to Christ. Maybe you're a spouse right now that's been living and not being engaged. Well, I want you to be like Maverick and Top Gun and re-engage, okay? I want you to re-engage. And if you're not married, I want you to find a best friend, maybe two or three, that you say, I want to be more like Jesus. Will you walk through that with me? Will you, if I confess my sins to you, not go, oh, you did what? And then text it out and tweet it to the rest of the church but somebody that says, I want to see Jesus grow in you more than more and more. Will you as a church have the desire in your heart for the person sitting next to you today to say, I hope that they love Jesus more next week than they did this week. And I want to pray for them. You know what happens if everybody does that? We're praying for one another. Who's in charge of your life? Who's dominating your thoughts, your actions? Is it Jesus? And are you looking forward to eternal life with him? We're going to sing in a second, Graves into Gardens, and I'm going to pray. And when we sing this, I want each of you to know, because some of you are holding on so hard to think that I cannot be having life in Jesus anymore, that you think you stuffed up, you think you can't get back there. I want you to pray, and I want you to know that Jesus loves you, he forgives you, and he wants you to run to him. So draw close to God. Let me pray, and then let's, let's sing. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.